0: Well, hello, I'm Lainey, also known as Electro Girl, and I'm an advocate for empowering people to get back in the driver's seat of their diagnosis. See, I was diagnosed with epilepsy 30 years ago, and basically was never satisfied with hearing from a doctor that pharmaceuticals would be the only approach to controlling my seizures. I just wasn't going to take it. Out of my way, mortal. So I committed many, many years to researching and finding an answer outside of the Western medicine approach to find a more holistic approach in managing and treating my epilepsy and the seizures. The Love Your Diagnosis podcast is a show about exactly that. Each week, we will be looking into the life of someone who has been diagnosed with a condition or illness and has succeeded in managing their diagnosis both in and outside of Western medicine. To start off, we will look at the Western medicine prognosis and approach to dealing with their diagnosis inside the square. Then we'll dip our toes a little deeper into their story where we talk about other empowering modalities that worked for those people outside of that square. Basically, what put them back in the driver's seat of their diagnosis. So hang around with me while we explore living in and outside the medical square when it comes to loving your diagnosis. people who are in the driver's seat of your health. It is Lainey. Today, I am interviewing a lady called Kimberly Clark, who, as you'll hear, has something that I didn't know about, which is why she kind of stood out to me as being someone really good to interview. MST. She got it in the Navy. Military sexual trauma. So this is where young cadets, young kind of people that are like just starting out, have their trust abused by older people in the army who, you know, they don't know how to fight back to because, you know, they're their their leaders. They're the people that are kind of making the rules. Anyway, these people have abused trust doesn't matter what sex as we'll find out because it's not just women that are at the hands of these um, abusers it's also men in the army who just abuse the power so we talked with Kimberly about PTSD after the Navy how that led to alcoholism addiction uh, in and out all that sort of thing relapses, you know. So a few of the acronyms that you might hear in this show today is EMDR Eye Movement Desensitisation Therapy A psychotherapy that enables people to heal from the symptoms and emotional distress that result from trauma. So your eyes move in a specific way while you process the traumatic memories. Um, But Kimberly Clark will go into that a little bit more. And and we'll uh, hear her um, story and MST really refers to sexual assault or harassment experienced during military service. So without further ado we will hear Kimberly's story and we will unpack it a little bit later. Have a little chat more about it. Hope you enjoy the episode and that you're having a fabulous day today. Kim, Kim, Kim. You were one of the people that stood out on the spreadsheet that I got for people that, that answered the call of, to be on the podcast. Okay. So I guess to start off, just introduce yourself and briefly explain what your diagnosis is and how long you've been living with this.
1: OK, well, my name is Kimberly Clark. I am a, a Navy veteran, motivational speaker, published author. My diagnosis is, is PTSD and anxiety. I developed PTSD after MST, which is a military sexual trauma. And the thing that saved my life, I would say, is EMDR therapy. Which
0: stands for? Eye movement, desensitization and reprocessing. So MST That wouldn't even have been a thought in my mind that that is considered something something that happens in the military to women. I'm just saying women, but I'm sure it's all genders, is it? It is all genders. It is.
1: I I have a best friend. We got out of the military together, got a medical discharge together, and he was gang raped by officers in the military. Wow.
0: It is. How old were you when you you went into the Navy and, and why did you do it?
1: I was 17, you know, I went in originally uh, I, I had scholarships for the debate team. I was on a debate team in high school. I was really, really good at it. And I wanted to go major in psychology, minor in social work. But I ended up talking to this doggone recruiter. And I don't know if you know anything about recruiters, but they have a tendency to lie. And so he, he convinced me to join and, you know, travel the world and go to school all at the same time and do all these things. So, so yeah, I ended up joining the military
0: at 17 instead. He dangled a carrot. You took it. And did you know anything about what you were signing up for?
1: I know a little bit about what I was signing up for. Like, I was 17, so I was focused on, you know, traveling, uh, seeing the world, maybe hopefully going to school at the same time. But the traveling
0: part alone was enough for me. And also wearing the uniform, you know, the pride that comes with that. And before you joined the Navy, did you have any anxiety issues at all?
1: Oh, absolutely. Yes. I had low self esteem growing up from, ooh, wow, early, early on. I think uh, maybe eight years old. I remember having extremely low self esteem, being called ugly a lot, you know, not only by other people, but uh, telling myself that, feeling that way. I had ooh, really low self esteem growing up, you know, and I uh, I was, you know, I don't know if I wouldn't call it rape. I wouldn't call it molested because there was never any like real, but maybe sexual assault as a child by our family members. And so I think that, that well, I know that added on to the low self-esteem too.
0: So it was actually, uh, you actually had anxiety and, some, and, and already trauma by the sound of it before you entered the Navy. Was there anything else going on for you emotionally that you brought in? Because I, I know that you've talked about addiction, which we're going to talk about later. Was the addiction a problem mm-hmm. before you went into the Navy?
1: Oh, no. No, I didn't know anything about drugs back then okay. whatsoever. I just knew about alcohol because my dad, he was an alcoholic and he died from cirrhosis of the liver, but I didn't know anything about drugs back then.
0: Right. Yeah. So how long between joining the Navy and and getting the PTSD um, from the military sexual, sexual trauma that you experienced? Um, less than a year. I joined in 2007. The incident happened maybe mid-2008,
1: I believe. So within a year's time. Basic training, got to my, um, I got to Guam, that's where I was stationed at. I took Guam maybe about four or five months in, it happened. So sorry to hear that. Did anyone believe you at the time? Uh, I waited, I waited a few, maybe a few days or so before I told anybody. And when I told that person, he, you know, he immediately got angry immediately when he confronted the guy, you know, in front of other people with other people. He took like seven of his friends and confronted the guy and yeah yeah they they believed me thankfully i mean i mean they believed me to a certain extent but like when i had to talk to ncis every day for like a few months you know they would have me you know try to get him to confess they would have me call him with the the uh, phone tapped, or they would have me go and see him with the wire attached to my to my to my chest, to try to get him to confess and things like that. But he ended up getting away with it because you know there was alcohol involved at the party, and so that's why I said it's kind of I'm indifferent about if they believe me or not, you know. But that happens a lot for men and officers get away with you know rape in the military.
0: So this is completely off topic but I'm going to keep it in with the with the Me Too movement coming in did that rehash it up for you or did you did you stand strong with the other sisters in the world and I don't think it, I think I, I was able to to stay strong but I wasn't dealing with
1: it first of all after it happened you know I was getting that initial treatment only because you know the navy have to do that but I never really dealt with it until I started doing EMDR therapy. And so, yeah, I, when the Me Too movement happened, like it brought up some some feelings of anxiety. It brought up like, the, you know, the, the chest pain, the fire that you feel whenever something
0: like that comes up. It brought those feelings up. Did you leave the Navy straight mm-hmm. after that or did you stick it out?
1: Oh, no, I, I wanted to stick it out. I wanted to do 20 years, but. You know, I tried to commit suicide after it happened. I took like 127 pills and I ended up being medevaced back to back to the States, back to San Diego, California. And th- initially they were just going to honorably discharge me or generally discharge me. But I kept having to go back and forth to the um, what I guess what's called a psychiatric unit at Navy Medical Center Balboa in San Diego. I kept having going back and forth in there. And so they eventually gave me a medical discharge.
0: Which means that you, are you taking Mm -hmm. care of the life from them as a, as a veteran? I am. Yeah. Well, that's something, isn't it? Did you know anything about what even PTSD was when all this happened? Like, so after the event and after you were discharged, did you have to go and get a diagnosis of something because you were experiencing more than just the anxiety you did as a kid? Initially, I
1: didn't know what was going on with me. I just knew I wasn't the same. I knew that there was a shift within me. I knew that something was wrong. I didn't know what it was. And they wasn't really throwing around that word PTSD. It was in my paperwork, but they, like the psychiatrists and stuff that I was dealing with, they weren't really using it a lot. So I thought it was just depression. I would go, you know, talk to a few people, but I, I found my coping mechanisms in drugs almost immediately when I came home after getting a medical discharge, you know, I was introduced to it, to cocaine, to crack cocaine, to, you know, I'd start doing more alcohol when I came home when I was in San Diego, getting my medical discharge, you know, that's when the, the alcohol got worse and worse and the promiscuity um, being that best friend, I was telling you about, but that something happened to him in the Navy too. And we kind of trauma bonded together because of our traumas. And we started going out to different clubs and stuff.
0: I mean, just doing anything to cope for almost 10 years. And so that's how you've just pushed it down. Were you on pharmaceutical things as well as that, or that was your prescription medicine was was street drugs? I've tried, I don't know how many
1: different like antidepressants, mood stabilizers, I don't think there's one out there I haven't tried unless they come up with some new ones. <laughs> but <laughs> I've tried a lot of different things. Uh, I mean, as far as medication wise, you know, I wouldn't take it on a consistent basis. So I really don't know if it really worked or not. I didn't give it a chance to. Were you yeah, talking I about
0: the- it with anyone or you, just were, or you just used the drugs as a therapy? off and on because I was in and out of active addiction so
1: I I didn't have time to sit down and and go do what I was supposed to do I think I maybe sat down maybe at the most six months at a time and within that time I would talk to different counselors and psychiatrists and stuff like that but well yeah I didn't I didn't really have time for that I was too busy getting high and pushing it down
0: so when did the light bulb moment happen from where you went okay this is 10 years was there is there a story to, to what happened
1: So I'm going to start out with the first time. Well, 2018, I got tired and I was like, you know what, I'm going to just go to um, one of the rehabs, the VA offers in Little Rock, Arkansas. So I went to Little Rock, Arkansas, went to a rehab. I did extremely well, got out, went to a sober living house, stayed in the sober living house for a year, you know, got a vehicle, start going to AA meetings, NA meetings, got a sponsor. Um, I started doing service work, community work. I was in Veterans Treatment Court, which is like drug court for veterans. Basically, you go through this like series of things for uh, maybe two years to get whatever charge you have off your record. Because within those 10 years, I was in and out of jail, in and out of rehabs, in and out of psychiatric units. And so I graduated from treatment court. Right before the pandemic happened. And so the pandemic happened, everything shut down. And all of a sudden I can't go to any meetings. I can't do all of those things that was keeping me grounded and keeping that foundation. All of a sudden just stopped. How long were you sober? Oh, I was almost 18 months. And that was the longest I I had been sober. And so in the year 2020, when I relapsed, I was hospitalized three times. I was hit in the back of the head two times in an attempt to take my life. I was given bad drugs three times in an attempt to take my life. One of those times I ended up on life support for two days. I I wrecked my truck. My truck flipped
0: seven times and I walked out of it without a scratch. Dude, Um, you're an angel. You are meant to be on this (laughs) planet. I believe that. I
1: believe that. Yes, indeed. All of that happened in 2020 alone. And so by the end of 2020, You know, from March to December, all of that happened. And I'm like, so I found myself basically homeless. You know, um, I I was living in a hotel, but I was homeless. I was homeless. I was hopeless. I was feeling just... I, man, I didn't know what to do with myself, but I wanted to stop because I knew that there was something greater in me. And I, I knew that I've always had goals. I've always had morals. I've always had values. And so I wanted to do something different. And so I reached out to a friend of mine and I told her, look, I want to get some help, but we got to, we got to come up with the plan. And that's what we did. I went to detox, um, on a, on my cousin's couch when I detox from alcohol, I've had seizures before in the past because of how much alcohol I was consuming, fifths and fifths a day. And so I was kind of scared to do it in a non-medical environment. But at that point, the hospitals didn't have room for if if you did if you did if you didn't have COVID. And so I detoxed, went to a rehabilitation a month later. And in that rehabilitation is where I found EMDR therapy. And when I tell you it rewired my brain. <laughs> Literally, it made me, uh, I faced my traumas for the first time. All of my traumas from childhood to the military, to everything that happened in those 10 years of addiction, I faced all of those things. I accepted that it happened to me.
0: Was it an alternative practitioner that that brought this therapy to you or did, was it just your normal GP that had had success with it, with other addicts and, and trauma survivors and just thought that it might be a good thing for you to do? You know what? I've been to maybe 10 different
1: rehabs and I've heard of EMDR before that, but none of them thought that I needed it. Um, I guess they didn't know me very well, but (laughs) none of them thought that I needed it. And so this particular rehabilitation, they introduced it to me, asked me if I wanted to do it. And I'm like, it's the only thing I haven't tried because I tried everything. So I did it. I was desperate and it worked.
0: Is one of the things with EMDR, do you have to commit to doing it? Can you just do it half assed and and kind of hope that it works? Or do you really have to commit to it and what's involved?
1: Absolutely. You, you have to commit to it. You have to commit to your own healing. You know, it's, it's not committing to that. It's committing to your own breakthrough, your own growth, you know, and what include, I mean, it, it, you're going to see uh, whoever does your EMDR therapy, going to see them twice a week to start off with. Well, some counselors do EMDR in different ways. For me, mine was there's this green light. And so you either follow the green light from left to right, left to right, left to right with your eyes, or you tap Ah, uh, you have these things in your hands that vibrations and they make vibrations in your hands. and it goes from left to right, left to right, left to right. There's something about like uh, your brain moving from left to right, left to right while you're focusing on that specific thing. It rewires your brain to like where you're not so afraid. you're not so you know, traumatized. When you think of that trauma, you know, you're able to accept it more. It's something that happened,
0: but I survived it instead of, oh my God, here's this thing again. Did you have to relive all the traumas from your childhood and what happened in the Navy to be able to push through it? Or does it not work that way? Somewhat. I wouldn't say
1: relive it because, well, maybe the first time, the first time that you you actually go through it, you, you may feel like you're reliving it, but you're there surrounded by support. You're surrounded by all the tools that you need to make it through that session, to make it through. Even when you leave, you're going to leave with tools to make it through. So you may be, you know, reliving it to a sense, but you're there with the right support that you need and you're going to get through it. So it's not as scary as it is when you're just sitting
0: alone thinking about it and just, you know, you want to cope with it. So is it something you still have to do every day? How does it work after you leave that session?
1: Oh, no, no, it it uh, it does it on its own. Our brain actually does it on its own after we leave those sessions. That's the cool thing about it. Our job after that is to just be mindful of our feelings, like to be self-aware, just be aware of how we're feeling. Or if something comes up, something used to trigger us. Be aware of how it affects us now. And then report that back to whoever whoever you're doing your counseling with. That's your only job. But your brain is going to do the work itself. That's the cool thing about this therapy. Like your your brain is going to do the work as long as you do the work in your sessions. And you just be mindful and be self-aware of the changes that you're making and the changes that your body is making. Because it's going to make some changes and it's going to make some good changes. You're going to feel less and
0: less anxious, less and less fearful. And it's going to be an amazing feeling. Are you surprised that it was that simple? I mean, I'm not saying it's simple, but, you know, compared to other treatment and management plans about certain things, it seems like this particular thing seems so accessible and so easy to, to master if you get it. Yes, absolutely.
1: I was extremely surprised because I'm thinking I'm just going to have to do this big, extravagant thing because I had some of these big, extravagant problems and I was crazy. I believed I was crazy for so long. And for for me to find out I'm not crazy, that, you know, I'm not weird, that, you know, that these things happen, but I can't survive them. I have survived them. I've overcame them. That was the best feeling
0: congratulations did your friend who had the same who had mst uh as well your your male friend did you get him onto this I did um he's yet to have done it though he's still do, he's still struggling with addiction okay and and him yeah. seeing you succeeding in it that hasn't driven him he's still not willing to dive into his own pain yet I believe at one point he was uh, not only like addiction um You know, he's
1: going through marital problems and he just has a lot. He has a lot going on. I've you know, I've been being a living example for him. But people will only, you know, get clean when they're ready to get clean. And they will only make that change when they're ready.
0: That's right. And so me, I just have to keep being an example for him and loving him exactly where he is. A hundred percent. Do you still resonate with the fact that you have PTSD and you still got an addiction problem? Or do you feel, do do you feel that you're going to be monitoring that for life? Or do you feel that this EMDR is going to cure you of both of those? I believe
1: that I am a person in long-term recovery, but my spiritual beliefs, like I believe that, you know, God can deliver me. I don't believe that I'm an addict. I don't believe that I'm an alcoholic. I believe that I'm a person who have dealt with addiction and who have dealt with alcoholism. But uh, I don't pour that into me. You know what I mean? Because I don't want that to be my label because i overcame it i i did the work and i'm doing the work on a daily basis and the way to to stay that way is you have to do a combination of things you have to take care of your mind your body your spirit you have to take care of yourself mentally spiritually and physically all of those things work together in combination i do believe that when god changes
0: things he changes things period were you a spiritual person before this or have you found god since you've been so Oh, I've been spiritual um, my whole life. You know, I grew up
1: in the church, in the Christian faith. Thanks to my mother, um, she raised us with knowing God, you know, with having a personal relationship with Him. And if it wasn't for that, I wouldn't have known what to come back to. No matter how far I strayed away, no matter how deep I got in the streets, I knew who to call on. I knew who to pray to, right? Because prayer really does change things.
0: And other lifestyle changes that you made since since you've dealt with your trauma? Have you made any changes to your physical life?
1: I box. I do boxing. I do Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I love, man, I didn't even think my body could move the way that I saw those people moving in (laughs) (laughs) jiu-jitsu. But it does, and I love it, and I love learning self-defense. I love learning new things, period. And so, so yeah, jiu-jitsu, Brazilian jiu-jitsu and boxing and Muay Thai is going to be my, my
0: next thing. Wow. But yeah, I've been out there trying new things, just trying to stay healthy, you know? That's great, Kim. As a parting gift to people that have gone through what you've gone through, both in and outside – the military. So both with military sexual trauma or just sexual trauma and pushing their trauma down. Do you have any pearls of wisdom, I suppose, that if people are listening to this and they're just starting their journey with it, what would you advise them?
1: First, know that you are not alone and that you cannot do this alone, that you do need support, you know, and there, if you don't already have that support, like within family, within friends, there are groups, there are places that you can find support at. Also, write down your feelings, journaling, journaling. I know it may sound cliche, but that's one of my favorite things to do. And it's a releasing thing to do. You get those things out of you that that isn't serving you any purpose in your head or in your heart. So journal those things, write a letter to your traumas and then burn them. Write a letter to your traumas, say them out loud, read them back to yourself and then burn them. And as you burn them, you spiritually release them too, but definitely keep a prayer life whether that be prayer, meditation, do one of those things, do both of those things. That helps as well. Also, those three things, the body, mind and spirit, take care of those things. For me, the body, Brazilian jiu-jitsu and boxing, spiritually, I meditate, I pray, I read, uh, I read the Bible, I read the word of God. Mentally, I do MDR therapy, I do journaling, right? And I write, I mean, I write a lot, like I'm, I'm working on my second book now. So take care of those three things meditate, journal, and get you some support. Find your people.
0: Are your books autobiographies or are they fiction? Yeah, it's an autobiography. It's a memoir called Stuck Between Pleasure and Pleasing God. It's oh, a, nice yeah. title. <laughs> oh, yeah. And when's is that out already or is that coming It out? is.
1: It is. It released okay. June 9th. It's available on Amazon. Or if you want a signed copy, you can email me at uh,
0: Kimberly.cares at Outlook.com and I will get you a signed copy. I'll get you to send me all those links and I'll put it in the podcast notes. Great. (laughs) Is there anything you want to add? I think there's just been some lovely gold in there. And thank you for sharing your story. How long have you been free, sober, sober for? Oh, January third, two thousand twenty-one. So
1: I'm 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 coming up on two years here soon. <laughs> yes, and i beat my own record. So uh, I've been beating records here. Lovely. Yeah. This
0: the longest, and I, I got so much more to go. Yeah, but you've Absolutely. started it. You're telling your story. You're talking about inspiring others. Mm. I've had a blast talking to you. I feel so comfortable. It just you know we're just talking, and so
1: thank you for making it. A loving and welcoming atmosphere. Wow. I really had fun t- just talking to you.
0: Yeah. <laughs> that's a, It's a gift I have. It is possible. Recovery is possible. Beautiful. If you would like to donate to the, the running of this podcast and you can afford a few little bucks a month or whatever it is that you can afford to keep the show going without ads, please hit this PayPal button and if you've got a few loose coins, that would really mean a lot to me and other people who are listening to this podcast and getting seeds of inspiration. Also, leave a review on Apple Podcasts because that just means more people will know about it. If you've got a story that you want to share, that you've had success with and that you've researched and found some, some joy and gold in your own diagnosis, please hit me up. I'm always happy to share anyone's story the main takeaway message in these podcasts is get second opinions find a doctor that you really resonate with and research the shit out of what you're going on get back in the driver's seat of your health everyone you do not need to take one person's opinion about the rest of your life and how to live it thanks for listening i really appreciate it i'm Lainey godiva